Hi, welcome to Dancing Dog Blog. I'm your host, Mary Haight, and today we begin a series, Community Voices, where people in the pet community talk about what they're involved in and something they think dog lovers would want to know about and share. Our first guest is Maggie Martin, an award-winning writer with a master's degree in narrative nonfiction from the Johns Hopkins University. She has written for many publications on and offline, including NationalGeographic.com, Bust Magazine, Bloom Magazine, and VictoriaStillwellsPositively.com, and also contributes monthly to Pet Age Magazine. Maggie's appeared on television and radio and has been profiled in Dog Fancy and Animal Wellness. OhMyDogBlog.com is her blog. Maggie works with Pitbull Education and Advocacy Organizations. Her own mixed Pitbull Emmett is a retired therapy dog. In 2015, the two appear in the renowned Pinups for Pitbulls calendar and are included in the forthcoming 10th anniversary book sold in Barnes & Noble stores nationwide. Clicker Dog Training, The Better Path to a Well-Behaved Pup, is her how-to dog training ebook, showcasing positive reinforcement. And we're going to talk about that, advances in training, training and management tips for the holiday hubbub, and see where we go from there. Welcome to Dancing Dog Blog, Maggie. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. Well, I'm so glad you could be with us. You know, I know you've got a book on clicker training. Yes. What's the story behind that? Did you want to be a dog trainer and research it? Uh, what's going on there? You know, the book came to me actually through the publishing company. They had the concept already and needed someone to write it. Um, I have been writing a dog blog for a while, and I'm not a credentialed dog trainer, but I had the knowledge and experience writing about training issues that I could then bring to their concept. Um, the book has interactive components. There are videos and things like that that accompany the chapters that I've written, so they did actually bring on a credentialed trainer from New York to do those pieces. Well, that's interesting. I never thought about that. So the book, you purchase it through the iTunes store, mm -hmm. and you have the option to toggle through and read the chapters that you're interested in, and then you can click on links that take you to videos that accompany it. So you can read it and then watch the behavior being modeled, which I think for, especially for novice dog owners, it's really important to see yeah. how things are done. Yeah. Especially with something like clicker training where timing is so important. And so if you read it, you maybe don't get a sense of um, exactly how to execute it. So the book, the text of the book is paired with visual components to help dog owners figure out just how to go about it. And really, my background in training is just a matter of adopting dogs over the years who needed a ton of special support for their behavior <laughs> and I am the type of person who is obsessive. And so when, you know, years ago when I was faced with a leash reactive dog, I just threw myself into researching everything I could about leash reactivity and training methods and all that sort of thing. And then that turned into, you know, years later, um, that's what I write about. It's like, it's really interesting that your vocation has... Uh, really informed uh, what what's, you know, become a, a real love for you is the dogs. It, you know, it sounds 
like an exaggeration, but I say this all the time that adopting my first dog literally changed my life because everything that all the decisions that I made from that point on were um, aimed toward working with him better. And because I was a writer already, it was natural to start writing about what I was doing with my dog. And that just over the years has turned into a significant portion of my writing career, dog writing. And I couldn't be happier or luckier. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful thing when it happens because it doesn't yeah. happen all that often. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, maybe maybe this is a good time to talk about uh, training itself and how it's evolved and because some people don't know that it's evolved. And, yes. And <laughs> unfortunately. And what the recent science behind the change discovered? That's a really great question. And, you know, I really think that the evolution of training has been a result of a tremendous cultural shift um, in our country, at least. Because historically, the idea was kind of that man has dominion over the animals. And so people were masters of their dogs. And we're thankfully in a place now where our animals are part of our families. And from that shift, we're starting to realize, I think, as a culture, that our animals deserve to be treated as such, to be treated as family members. Um, Of course, they're not humans. So we have these furry little four-legged family members running around our homes. And so it makes sense that we want to understand them a little bit better. And I think that that bringing our dogs and cats into the home and treating them as part of the family has pushed the science in the direction of understanding how we live and work with our dogs. Um, As far as the training science goes, I think that research is showing – For example, I know we talked previously about shock collars, that shock collars do, in fact, cause distress in dogs. Um, And for me personally, and I hope a lot of other dog owners who treat their dogs as members of the family, that's the last thing you want. You don't want to cause fear and pain and distress and anxiety. You want it to be fun and rewarding and build your bond as family members. And the science is I think, illustrating that point with data, you know, but regardless, I always say, even if the science wasn't there, I would still want to do, to train my dogs in a way that helps us be better friends and family members than to have them feel like they need to fear their master. That just, I think, is um, a mind shift that is thankfully, and maybe a little bit too slowly for some of our tape, um, waning in our culture. The other thing is, is that everyone's bringing these animals into our homes, and it's easy to forget because dogs are such a part of our lives that they aren't fur-covered people, that they're not the same as a toddler. Having they're not a, a kid a two-year-old in your house. Around, you know, yes. they, are, they are dogs. It's a whole different animal. But I I think that if you have a problem with the dog that you bring into your home, those quick fix 
television shows give the sense that all you have to do is tell them no or give this type of correction and your dog will be a you know perfect member of your family. But in reality, if we're not teaching dogs human manners, they don't come pre-wired knowing don't eat the trash or don't go to the bathroom in the house. We have to, those are our human constructs. They're just things that we have invented. And unless we teach them how to adhere to those constructs, they're going to do what comes naturally, which includes, you know, paying in the kitchen or whatever. That's an excellent point, Maggie. Dogs really do need training. If you give them half a chance, they'll learn. Okay, let me let me follow up with what you were uh, talking about um, shock collars and choke and pinch collars and mm. all that stuff that's you still used, um, albeit incorrectly, uh, now as a shortcut, uh, and it's being right. called uh, dog training, which it really isn't. Um, so this is a question I've asked, and I've asked it on my Facebook page and on Dancing Dog Blog. Is there ever an appropriate time to use a shock collar? What have you found in your research? You know, I I think that people make the argument for um, these kind of emergency scenarios where it's a matter of life and death. You know, I can think of a book that I read a few years ago where um, he was talking about how um, his dog would chase livestock. And in order to get him to stop that so that, you know, the neighboring farmers wouldn't shoot his dog. He resorted to the shot collar because there was no other way. But I just think that if you are, I can't actually think of an example that would require a shot collar as a management strategy that the alternative behavior couldn't be trained. I think it's a shortcut. Um, I mean, heck, we can train dogs (laughs) to perform every task under the sun You know, if you look globally at the services and things that dogs are performing in every facet, they can do it all. So I don't think that there is... Yes, you're right. You know, I think there's something like an 80-task test that service dogs have to pass. That's incredible. I mean, 80 tasks. Yes. And if you think about if one dog can learn 80 tasks that are not things that aren't necessarily hardwired into the dog code. You know, I just, I can't think of an example where I would say, yeah, a shot collar is your only option. I think it goes back to the quick or simple fix idea where perhaps it seems easier to shock your dog than to take the time to teach him something. Um, But I have a tough time accepting that as a final answer. Yeah, I think there's um, probably a, a big discussion in a lot of shelters on this point uh, regarding keeping dogs alive as opposed to destroying them and using the shock collar as a tool uh, to do that. Um, I think it's expediency can be a dangerous thing. Absolutely. And it's also, I just, that's so risky to me mm-hmm. that a shelter, especially if, say, you have a dog. Um, who has, you know, a fear issue. They're already afraid of something, and then to get them to stop 
being afraid because that's oftentimes the reactions that people are trying to curb, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, what looks like aggression. Yeah, lunging at another Shocking. dog. Shocking. Yeah. Makes that that fear magnified. You're saying, here's this thing you're scared of, and now I'm going to add this pain on top of it. And so you should and really are, be scared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I I am terrified of spiders. I am terrified of spiders. And someone had me sit in a chair, and they dumped a whole bunch of spiders on me, and to keep me from getting scared, they pinched me. Mm. I would not get over my fear. <laughs> no, 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 that doesn't seem to to yeah, it. yeah. It just it that it just baffles me that that uh, is that that concept that that's what's going to work. And it might stop the dog from lunging; it'll stop him in his tracks. But you're not teaching him that he doesn't have to feel afraid of another dog or a stranger on the street or a small child or something like that. Mm -hmm. But rather you're teaching them that this thing you're afraid of causes you to experience pain. And there are a ton of cases where um, the dog then takes it to the next level and lashes out and goes from lunging to actually biting or something like that. And it's just, it just seems dangerous and kind of irresponsible to send. You know, most shelter dogs are fairly, unknown even to the shelter workers if there's fast turnover and the shelter environment is not like a home environment they don't encounter the same types of stimuli and so then you put them in a home with people they don't know in a completely unfamiliar scenario and then you start shocking them (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just not a good introduction and certainly not a way to bond with an animal no, not at all. It is. It, it, it's interesting because you've got the difference between tra- training and managing. It's not the same as it was, say, 15, 20 years ago, where you didn't have this realization of communicating with a dog in a different way. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you said the training versus managing thing because I think that as far as managing behavior goes, there are a lot of ways to manage troublesome behavior uh, if you do need that quick fix, that don't entail aversives. Um, the example that comes to mind is my darling dog, Cooper, who is an absolute train wreck <laughs> of a dog. Um, he is the sweetest little thing, but he is terrified of certain types of people, children, really tall men, um, deep wow. voices, and that sort of thing. He just has... Um, and his, his fear reaction is to just bark and bark and bark and bark. And he's trying to tell me, I feel really uncomfortable. Please don't put me in this situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on Sunday, we had some of our neighbors over for brunch. And there were two kids. And the guy down the street is extremely tall. And just looking at the situation, I knew this would be horrible for Cooper. And, yes, we could use it as a training opportunity. But he would be very uncomfortable and very stressed. So the management solution rather than shocking him for displaying this behavior was just to put him in a different room. He had a peanut butter Kong um, and some stuff to chew on. And he just was excused to the other room for the couple hours. People were over. He was far more comfortable, far happier. He didn't have any big freak outs and his behavior was managed in that I wasn't exposing him to a situation that would cause him to feel so uncomfortable that he resorted to, you know, these problem, quote, problem behaviors. Let's get into the holidays that are coming now. Uh, what do you do with a dog 
who will move your dining room chair <laughs> into a position where he or she can jump onto the seat and then get up on the dining room table. Yeah. Just, you know, I don't know, to do, do a tap dance. I, <laughs> I'm i not Eat quite sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what can uh, people do to change that behavior? Well, you know, it kind of ties back into talk, what we were talking about earlier, where um, because dogs are so much a part of human life, we sort of just expect them to know how mm-hmm. to live in our homes and yeah. to have manners we want them to have. But again, the reality is they're dogs. Mm-hmm. So if we don't take the time to teach them what we want and what we expect, they're going to do what comes naturally to them. And, you know, digging through the garbage for something that smells delicious or jumping on the table because there's really good food up there it's rational. It's bad manners to us, mm-hmm, but to the dog, mm-hmm. you know, they're um, they're going to do what comes naturally to them, and you well, know, just following their their nose, basically, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and staving off hunger, and think how much better they smell than we do. Imagine what the Thanksgiving spread smells like to a dog, and mm-hmm. we're saying, "You can't have that." Don't get up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so instead of focusing on correcting the behavior by saying no or something like that. We mm-hmm. need to focus on teaching them what we want to do. You can absolutely work with your dog to have an alternate behavior. So for my three dogs in the living room, they each have their own dog bed. And so when we have company over and there's a lot of good food out and about, Our method is to send them to their beds and give them something else to do. So they have a chew toy or a puzzle or a, you know, calm filled with frozen peanut butter, something that's going to keep them busy. And when they get, as they do, curious and they want to come in and see what we're doing, we just ask them, go back to your bed, give them their toy again, and that's that. They're definitely... (laughs) Okay, that's a that's an orderly household. So with three big dogs, yeah. we kind of have to yeah. have things well managed. And when <laughs> Emmett is the worst counter surfer ever, <laughs> and he knows that he is not allowed to jump on the cat at this point. You know, he's lived for seven years, eight years. Um, he knows that that's a rule. So instead of making him feel tortured that he can't jump up and help himself to mashed potatoes or whatever, mm-hmm. giving him an alternative that makes him just as happy, you know, he gets to lick all this peanut butter, mm-hmm. um, in his mind is a fair trade. Mm-hmm. But if you don't teach them that alternate acceptable behavior, they're going to keep coming into the kitchen and trying to get on the counters or beg for food and and that's actually the other thing. I I definitely, if you're having a lot of guests over, communicate to them not to feed your dogs. Because <laughs> oh, as soon yeah. as your guests start slipping stuff under the table, the dogs are no longer incentivized to stay on their special spot. They're incentivized to sneak under the table <laughs> and collect goodies. <laughs> and they look at you and say, I don't hear you. <laughs> yeah. And you're setting them up to fail because yeah. then... They think it's fine because your uncle is, you know, sliding turkey under the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you get annoyed because they're not following the rules, but you basically 
trapped them. It's a catch-22. So communicate to your guests. Do not feed the dogs. Since Christmas is upon us, uh, what other management strategies can you share with listeners? I think if, if you don't have time to... Um, teach your dog to go somewhere else um, and you have a whole bunch of people coming over and you want to make sure that the dog stays off the counter, then there are a couple options. The first one is a management option where you can ideally put a baby gate up or something at the kitchen so that they can't even get in there in the first place. Now, I know that's not practical for everyone. Our house is kind of an open floor plan, so that mm-hmm. certainly doesn't work for us. But what we've done in the past is... And this is certainly more inconvenient, but it solves the problem. We um, have leashed Cooper on a, just clipped into our belt mm-hmm. so that he has to stick with us. Now, his thing isn't jumping on the table. His thing is jumping on people. Oh. He wants to get up into everybody's faces and give them kisses, which people just don't appreciate. <laughs> So I just keep him with me. I clip his leash to my belt if he's not going to stay on his bed, if that's not going to work. Um, or, for instance, if, the, if there are a bunch of kids around, keeping him with me keeps him safe and comfortable. And I have my pockets stuffed full of dog treats, mm-hmm. not, you know, cranberries and things off the table. And mm-hmm. I reward him for sticking with me and being calm. Well, that will work for some people. And certainly the baby gate's a great idea or even... In, into a bedroom. Yeah, because I think, and and this is sort of like, you know, people do definitely want the quick fix. Exactly. It might be pretty tough unless you're super dedicated to teach an on-your-bed if your dog doesn't have that already or a downstay if your dog doesn't have that foundation already, especially since we're all so busy getting ready to cook dinner for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of our friends and relatives. So. I think in a case like that where you need the quick fix, instead of thinking about corrections, think about how to manage it in the moment. Gates, putting them in another room, keeping your dog with you. Um, If you are lucky enough to live somewhere that's not frigid, you know, outside in the backyard with some good toys. And if your dog loves kids, you can always send relatives out there to play fetch with them. (laughs) in between. Yeah. Yeah, and some people have crates, too, that dogs sleep in at night, so they could take a time out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that not not many dogs are actually all that comfortable with a house full of strangers. Mm -hmm. So even even really well-adjusted dogs, it can get very overwhelming. There are weird noises and smells and people you don't know and a lot of dog unsavvy people who perhaps don't know how to pet them appropriately. And so sometimes you have to know your dog really well, but sometimes giving them an alternate location is the best thing for the dog as well. Uh, Maybe we should address quick fixes. I do think it is very important to remember that there are no quick fixes in dog training at all whether it's a problem behavior that you need to work on for something specific or an ongoing behavior like lunging and barking, there there isn't a fast way to fix it in a way that will be positive and long-lasting. That's the other thing with aversive training is that it's not something that the dog is going to absorb and retain for a long period of time. So these are a lot of in-the-moment tips for how to manage your dog and your dog's behavior um, if you don't have that foundation of training. That being said, dogs 
need to learn how to learn. So if you haven't been training together, it's good to start. Start now. Start as soon as you're done listening to this podcast and work on something really simple and really fun for both you and your dog to start building that foundation. And then once you have that foundation of figuring out how to work together um, and how to work with your dog to make sure you're both enjoying the training, dogs who are used to training can learn very quickly. Uh, my dog, Cooper, is a horribly behaved <laughs> dog in a lot of ways because he is brilliant. He, we have been training since he was a puppy, and he can now learn really complicated tasks in a single afternoon. I just last week I thought, you know, maybe I should teach him how to open the door for me when I have my hands full, and we did it in an afternoon because he already knows how to learn, mm-hmm. and we train regularly. So if I decided that between now and Thanksgiving I wanted to teach him to do a specific behavior before a company came over, I would be confident that he could do that simply because we have that positive foundation and that great bond where he loves to work. And when he sees me open the drawer where I keep the clickers um, and I have a touch stick and some other little tools we use, he gets really excited and he can't wait to figure out what new thing we're going to be working on, <laughs> uh, which is a lot of fun, but it takes some time to get there. You know, we've been working together for years. So if you are going into something like the holidays and you don't have that foundation, it's okay to employ some of these quick tips to manage the behavior and then shift your focus long term on teaching your dog how to learn and work together. What can you suggest for people who think they have no time for training their dog? Many people seem hesitant to start in on dog training uh, because they think that it's going to be a tremendous investment of time and energy, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there is a lot of technical knowledge that they just don't have the time to acquire. But the reality is you can make huge progress and have so much fun with your dog just doing a few really short sessions every day. And I'm talking five to ten minutes. If you can Mm do, you know, have your dog do a sit and a down and a high five before you feed him his breakfast in the morning. And then the next day you vary those behaviors so that it doesn't become a predictable pattern, but it's something fun where he's like, oh, what am I going to be asked to do to earn my breakfast today? And then do the same thing at dinner and, you know, maybe a down stay when you're on your evening walk or whatever. The dog training can be, and I think should be, integrated into your everyday. It doesn't need to be this big, confusing thing where if I don't have an hour a day, then it's not worth it. You know, that's so absolutely true. Uh, And this is why I so much loved the idea of nose work. Yes. I was so impressed with that something that you can do in the winter in your apartment. You don't need a lot of space. It's wonderful if you can be out of doors, but Mm -hmm. it's unnecessary. And you can uh, entertain your dog for hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we play this game. um, It's a variation on nose work, and it's just hide-and-seek. So, and oh, I love that. I do. I do yeah, too, and it's yeah. really the fun thing is, is that you can work on other behaviors simultaneously. So, for 
instance, I will, all three dogs, I'll call them to me, I'll put them in a down, and I'll ask for a wait, and then I go hide somewhere and I shout, find me. So they are working on their down, they're working on their weight, and then they get to seek me out. And sometimes I'll have some treats to give them when they find me, but really finding me is just the reward for them. They get so excited. (laughs) Uh, And then they're in a new location, and so this time I'll ask for a sit, and I'll go hide in another part of the house. And so we kind of do this back and forth, and it takes, you know, 10 minutes to do three or four rounds of this Mm -hmm. and their tails are wagging and their mouths are open and they're happy and just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really no time out of your day. And you don't don't have to go anyplace special. Yeah, exactly. Although they do have some really nice, um, uh, half day seminars on nose work. If you're not familiar with it, um, at, at various places, you can you know Google it in your locality, uh, and I I would advise people to go do that. I think that's uh, it, it's so much fun just to yeah. play games with your dog and and uh, uh, keep them uh, mentally engaged with life. That's such a great suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. Because they, while we love them and we know that they're not children, uh, they're a separate species, and, and we need to figure out more as we are figuring out more about what that really means and what in the dog world makes them happy. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are so many, we're in a very lucky point where all of the science is kind of marrying with what it's like to actually have a dog in your house because you've probably noticed how many instinct based toys there are. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. If you have a dog who is um, a particular breed, you can, I guarantee you can find a toy online designed to exercise that breed's particular instincts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I really love for terriers, they have those, um, they're beehive toys. It's a big beehive stuffed with bees. Uh, not that they, <laughs> you know, hunt bees, but it's the same idea where they have to burrow through this beehive to pull out the individual stuffed animals. I think there's a squirrel one in a tree or something like that, but mm-hmm. it capitalizes on their instinct to burrow through and find something little to drag out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's, it's good to give them the chance to exercise what they're feeling naturally inclined to do. Or Absolutely. if you don't want that, a food puzzle is great. And we have a lot of, um, I think we have three or four, of those Nina Otison. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I do that too. too. Got that too. It's and it it's interesting to watch how that engagement with the mind is tiring for dogs. Yeah. Absolutely. It's and a surprise. You know, so. in that. And then you know, it's it's more engage they get more out of eating their dinner from a puzzle toy than just gobbling it out of a bowl. Yeah, far more interesting and and more healthy, I think. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, could you tell us, since we're, I guess we're out of time, uh, where can people contact you? My dog blog is ohmydogblog.com. How do you spell that? It's O-H-M-Y-D-O-G-B-L-O-G.com. So ohmydogblog.com. Okay. And all my contact info's on there. Um 
and this, we have a whole bunch of different training topics that are kind of ongoing, and there's always a great discussion with a lot of people who are much smarter than I am weighing in and sharing their experiences. So it's a great community for chatting about training issues. Emails, it's just info at ohmydogblog.com. So if you, if anyone has any questions or wants to chat more about all things dog, it's info at ohmydogblog.com. Or if somebody out there wants you to write another book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was fabulous. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us today, Maggie. Thank you for having me, Mary. It was so fun. And to the audience, thanks for listening. <laughs>